0: Well, friends, I am excited this morning. Um, We have a guest who is going to bring the word to us. His name is Edgar Momo. He is a dear friend. We met three or four years ago at a a Simeon Trust preaching workshop that I, I tend to go to yearly, and we got to be in the same group, and I got to know this brother a little bit, got to hear him preach, and I said, I like this guy, and I like the way he handles God's word. And so then I've even gotten to visit him once at Zionsville Fellowship, where he is a pastor, and hear him bring the word there, and I was deeply encouraged. And so I've been excited for this day to come, and I get to introduce him. So if you want to come on up, Edgar, Edgar is an associate pastor at Zionsville Fellowship. I believe he's been there for eight years as a pastor, been at the church 11, originally from Sierra Leone, married to his wife, Caroline, and their three kids are here this morning with them um, so I'm going to let him say the rest, but I am deeply grateful for this brother, and so I'm encouraged by what God is going to say to us this morning, and so let me pray, and then take it away. Father, I am grateful for Edgar, but I'm even more grateful for your word, and so I pray now that as Edgar opens up your word to us, that you would show your power, and that you would work powerfully in and through my brother here, and that you would work in us as we hear and receive your word. So be with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Well, thank you, Dan, for that introduction. Yes, I met Dan. The other part, he didn't tell you. That's when we were in Simeon Trust. So at Simeon Trust, you have you know uh, those who have gone through the training and they are able to guide Those who are coming in, preachers, you know how we learn to preach, and Dan was our lead. You know, I really got to respect him because he's a man of few words. But he sits like, uh, when you explain something, and he is really giving perspective to it, and whenever he says something, he has really thought it through. And I really appreciate Dan for... Inviting me to come and share God's Word with us today. As he said, I'm originally from Sierra Leone, but recently I've started introducing myself um, uh, because when people hear the accent, where are you from? So, in in order to make it easy for everyone, I tell people I am from Kentucky by the border. Yeah, yeah. Originally from Kentucky by way of the border. So, and um, this morning I'm here with my wife, Caroline. Um, We've been married for... This year, will be 23, and uh, we have a 21-year-old daughter, a graduate from Grand Canyon University, and we have one who is a senior heading to college this fall, and we have a, um, a freshman, and Edgar. So Caroline, Patience, Donna, and Edgar, we call him EJ. I, and I also want to... I'm really grateful for bringing me here this morning. I want to tell you that your gain of... Christy and Phil Owen was our loss. A big, big loss. But, you know, the only reason why I will rejoice because they are serving the Lord here and in, in being an impact. But and Phil and I are, he's a very dear friend of mine, a bosom friend, someone who I am not ashamed and afraid to offload on, someone who I can speak to, really. And we all need people like that. And they are not many. When you find one who you know, you know it's not judging you. It's it's really there to listen to you and to pray with you. We should rejoice. And Phil is one of those that God has given me in this nation, and I really count on him. Praise God. Now let's go straight into God's word. So we are dealing with this morning with Psalm 13. But before I start, either reading or doing anything, let me start by asking you a question. And I want you, by a show of hand, how many of you parents here have heard this universally annoying question from younger children when you set on a road trip? And what is that question? Are we there? Are we there yet? We all know that. And moments after you would have replied to them, not yet, comes another, are we there yet? And another, are we there yet? And by this time, you as a parent respond in an acoustically high-pitched tonal response, which is a nice way of saying you yell, (laughs) you know, not yet. And guess what happens after that? Your young one goes quiet for a moment, and they instinctively rephrase the question on their next run. And this is what they will say how much longer do we have to get there? How long do we still have to go? Well, children usually ask these questions either out of excitement about the joy that awaits them in their destination or as a result of the boredom of being strapped into one place in the car. Like younger children's inquiry about the duration of their traveling time. We see a similar refrain in Psalm 13, where David repeatedly asked God a similar question about the duration of his trial experience. He questioned God, how long, O oh Lord, how long? And followed that up with another, how long? Of course, David's quest in this situation was entirely different from how younger children ask about the duration of their journey. The psalm, like this psalm 13, like many other psalms in the Bible, psalm 6, psalm 12, 38, and 42 are widely regarded as psalms of lament. They form a bulk of the psalms in the Psalter. And the psalmist used this device of lament to pray because it was a powerful tool that God's people used to express their gaudy emotions as they navigated through pain and suffering. It was and it is still. A way of crying out to God or petitioning Him to deliver us when we seem to go through troubles that are beyond our capacity to handle. For the most part, the psalmist's laments came from the dark places of the soul. So lamenting is something deep down the souls, sometimes from the pit of pain and agony where only God alone is deemed. As the deliverer, where nobody else can get, but God is the one who knows your pain and understands, and only He can bring about a solution. Have you ever been overcome with anguish and sorrow, or overwhelmed by the feeling of loneliness and despair to the point of believing that no one on earth possibly understands the depth of your pain? In times like those, it is always helpful to remember that God is ever-present with them that enlist His help, and He would not let you walk alone. He would never let you walk alone. So come along with me as we explore David's laments this morning to God in the midst of his deep state of discouragement and a feeling of abandonment by God. And if this describes the season of life that you are going through this morning I've got good news for you from God's word and the good news is that God sees and understands your pain and struggle even right now He hear his ears are attentive to you and your cry the cry of your heart is known to him the cry of shame the cry of anger the cry of Disappointment, God knows about it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it is not lost on me this morning to acknowledge that you are a good, good God. We also acknowledge that as we go through this life, this once upon world, beautiful and perfect world that you created, but due to the fall, we struggle daily with pain, we struggle with brokenness, we struggle with grief, disappointment, and discouragement to the point that we sometimes feel that you have neglected us. But, O oh Lord, as we are about to listen to your word, we pray that you please grant us grace, not only to learn how to make our petitions known to you, but also deeply put our trust in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let let me read for us Psalm 13. It reads, How long, O Lord, would you forget me forever? How long would you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? The main reason that led David to write this psalm is unknown to us. However, if we read First and Second Samuel, we will realize that historically, David was a man that was familiar with many twists and turns in his life. David was not someone who did not know what suffering is. David was not someone who did not know what it means to be chased out of your own kingdom, your own house by his own son. David was not one who did not know what it means to be betrayed. David was not one who did not know what it means to be lonely. He knew all of these things. So if he he wrote Psalm 13, we must remember that David is a man familiar with the vicissitudes of life, the challenges of life. He knows a thing or two about it. So while the specific situation that led to the writing of this psalm is unknown, its content was not a mere poetic rendition or some kind of hypothetical situation that David is just writing about. No, it's something that he has experienced and he knows a lot about. So David, we see this by his words that are indicative of someone who was either going through a dark place in his life or reflecting on his past ordeals, we notice this by his this, this interrogative opening questions. Of that, uh, in Psalm 13, he begins to say, "How long, O Lord, would you forget me forever?" Straight up, he goes on, "How long, O God, would you forget me forever?" Typically, all lament psalms follow a certain structure. Whether they are individual laments or they are communal laments, individual where someone is pouring out their heart and the deep sorrow to the Lord or where a community comes together and they are praying about a common thing that is troubling them and seeking God's intervention. You will see the following elements in each lament psalm. And these are the elements that you will see. First, it begins with an invocation or an acknowledgement of God. And then we see that it moves on to complaint or move to making the complaint. Why are you here to, uh, to God? Followed by petition. What do you want God to do? And ends with a praise. So every lament psalm goes through these four elements. As a structure. And, and we see here that the best way, and the best way to remember this, if you ever want to remember, or if you go through lament and you want to remember what are those four stages, just ask yourself these four journalistic questions. Whom am I praying to? That is the acknowledgement. You're acknowledging God. And what am I praying about? That is the complaint that you have brought before God. And why am I praying? Your petition, the very thing that brought you to God. And how should I respond after I have prayed? Praise God. Praise Him. We see all of these elements in the Psalms. So I will, we will walk. There are three movements in this text that we read today. And follow me as we walk through this. Number one, we will see David's plight, verses 1 to 2. And the second movement we would look at is David's petition, verses 3 and 4. And lastly, we would look at David's praise, verses 5 and 6. So we see here a plight, what brought him to God, and we'll see his complaint to God, and then we'll see his praise to God. So let's, 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 let's keep this rolling. So one, David's plight, one and two. So David started the psalm, with a quick invocation to draw his reader's attention, or his just to let us know what really was bothering him from his heart. And he comes to God. And if you notice in your Bible, the word Lord is all in uppercase. And it's written uppercase because it signified that David was res- speaking To no other God, but Yahweh himself, Jehovah himself, he's saying, I am here. We've got some matters to deal with here. And I am talking to you, God, because you only can hear me the way that nobody else could. So he said, Lord, Lord, how long? Then David quickly pivots to a succession of interrogative questions that that, that were not seeking for mere information, but rather a form of complaining or protesting unto the Lord. We hear his distress in the tone of his repetitive question, how long, O Lord? How long? And if you pay close attention to this distress call, you will notice that there are fourfolds how long in this text. And they were all directed to a 3 4 dimension. How long? Four times. But they were really trying to address three things. Number one, he directed his frustration at the Lord for seemingly abandoning him. Underscore the, the word seemingly abandoning him. And second, he questioned how long would he wrestle with his thoughts and feelings of discouragement. And thirdly, How long will his enemy triumph over him? So he's addressing these questions like any child. How long? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? So David is also using the same kind of repetition. But he's addressing three things. And these things are very key to uh, David's understanding of the Lord. And as we go through, you will see. But David's permanent complaint was about his feeling of God's abandonment or hiding his face from him. That was the key. David will do with anything else. But the fact that he feels that God has abandoned him, and he feels that, that is, there's no more hope. If Yahweh, you abandon me, I have no more hope. And so that is the thing that really triggered David. And listen to his cry. How long would you forget me? How long would you hide your face from me? And to David, these were not just mere meditative musing of some kind of religious, sanctimonious cliché that we can always throw here and there. No, these were coming from a place of deep sorrow, a place of deep grief, And he is addressing God Almighty. So David comes to the Lord and he pours his heart out to him. And by the way, God did not have any problem with David speaking to him the way he did, had no problem. God has no problem you and I approaching him and really unburdening unto him and telling him how you'll feel. He is not intimidated by that. In fact, he loves it. You come to him in that manner. Now we we'll see here that David poured his heart out before the Lord and pouring out before him in the midst of his suffering. But the problem though, and... It's only that where the problem lies is when we come to God with our problems and complain and complain and complain and end with complain. Complaining, that's where the problem lies. And you and I are most prone to doing that than even praising God, trusting Him that He is able and faithful to do far more than you have asked, far more than you think, far more than we can imagine that He is able to do so. And so that's the difference here. So God is not intimidated. God is okay for you to complain, whatever is troubling you. For instance, although David started his prayer from a disposition of discouragement and despair, he ended in a place of trust and hope and encouragement. And this is a typical pattern that we see in lament. However, this does not mean that God must answer our prayer immediately before we praise him. We may kneel there and pray, and me, maybe you are here this morning, you've been praying about something for many years, you've waited, you've trusted, and still God has not come through yet. Should you praise him? Yes. The answer is yes, you should praise him. We should praise him. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself demonstrated a perfect example of how we ought to bring our pains, our brokenness, our sorrow and heartfelt complaints before the Lord. The Bible says moments before he went upon the cross, he quoted one of David's terms. And the scripture says about the ninth hour, he hung upon the the cross and he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And we see the interpretation of that Again, another psalm of David in chapter 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the part of that scripture that Jesus did not quote was that David goes on to say, why are you so far from saving me, so far from the word of my groaning? Of course, we all know that Jesus did not end his cry as one hopeless loser upon the cross, We know that. Rather, he goes on to use another Psalm, 31, verse 5, and he ended his life this way. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. One moment he's saying, you forsaken me, and the next moment he's saying, into your hands I commit my spirit. By this token, Jesus was modeling for us a complete trust in his heavenly Father. Such that even in the face of death, he did not lose hope or confidence. He did not lose hope or confidence. Rather, he trusted the one about whom the prophet Isaiah wrote, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child he has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Isaiah 49, verse 15. So, even when we go through life and challenges, we go through the dark clouds, clouds that may seem to shroud every hope that you and I have, and it may seem to hide the face of God but for a moment. I mean, those dark clouds of sickness, the clouds of pain and suffering, the dark clouds of broken promises. The dirty clouds of disappointments, the gloomy clouds of loss and loneliness, and the awful days of uncertainties. God will not abandon you. He would not. No, not. He would not. But if we are honest you and I would agree that every follower of God at some point in their lives have have felt a feeling of being neglected by God, haven't you? Well, look, if you have not, keep on living. It's not a threat, it's a promise. You are going to go through that one of these days where you feel that God almost like has forgotten you or God has abandoned you. He's not listening to your cries. The frustration still goes on. The depression still lingers on. The hope that this situation will be solved is still not solved yet. You're praying for a loved one. They still not come to the Lord yet. He's not hearing your prayer. We all, as children of God, are going to go through that. It will. We will go through that. I mean, the kind of feelings, we'll have that kind of feelings when we are suddenly thrown into sin a circumstance or stuck in a season of life where we feel hopeless. Where we feel exhausted, tired, and hoping and expecting a breakthrough. But nothing is happening. We will go through that. Yet, you look around. You see others who are testifying, making testimonies of the same things that you are going through. Yet, God seemed not to have heard you yet. I mean the kind of feelings you have when everyone seems to be given the testimony. How their children are thriving, how their marriages are flourishing, how they have been vindicated at work. That nice boss in the other way has accused you for far too long. A coworker, if all gangs up against you. And you've been waiting, and now you have been vindicated. The truth has come out. It wasn't you. It wasn't you. But yet, you look upon that one who has gone through that vindication. You are still waiting for God to come through. Or perhaps someone is rejoicing, they have landed the dream job that they ever would have wished for. Or their health is as fit as a fiddle. And you are struggling with health situation. Your last doctor's appointment was no good news. But yet you still trust in the Lord. And when you pray, your prayers do not seem to go beyond the ceiling. You question in your heart whether God is listening to you. Whether, you, whether he really cares about you or loves you. You even doubt your own faith. Or perhaps you blame it on something that you could have done. And God is now dealing with you so severely. Even though you have repented. Even though you have sought his face. And his promises in 1 John 1, 9 are true. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But yet still, God does not seem to come through. Friends, it's not uncommon to faint under the weight of such, such feelings. And to sometimes you even just wish God, I wish at least you would tell me when will all this be over. If you have an expiration date on that situation, you can deal with it. You would know that it's coming, right? The time is coming and you can handle it. But God tells you none of those, and you still keep praying. Feelings are important, but we have to have a balance in life about feelings, especially as Christians, because there are those, some of us, who feel that feelings do not have any place in our relationship with God. It does not contribute to any of our spirituality. It's deceptive. No, I don't want to say feelings are totally deceptive, because feelings are one of the attributes of God in us. One of the attributes God feels, God loves, God cares, God has compassion. And we share into those attributes of God, those relative attributes we share with God. So do not think that when you feel this way, you are totally wrong. It's okay. But here is one thing that is not okay. Do not depend only on your feelings. That's the other balance we should have. Not everything that seems to appear real means that it is real. Feelings are deceptive because we live in a fallen world, we live in a broken world, and our own hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful. Jeremiah tells us, who can understand it? So do not depend on your feelings alone. So David went through this kind of feeling, where he was feeling that God has abandoned him. But he would have been mistaken if he stopped there. So similarly, when we are overwhelmed with the issues of life, and Jehovah seems to hide his face from us, and people do not seem to fully grasp what we are going through, and we even, they even charge us with a failing faith, Do not lose your trust in the Lord, dear friends. Because we have a loving Father who knows you by name. He knows your address. He knows what you are feeling. He knows your cries. He sees the tears you shed. Every night he is there. He hears you beyond what you can express with words. God is familiar with it. And it's the same God who promises that he would not abandon us. William Cooper is known to have written a 1600 uh, uh, um, poet in England. Is known to have written this classic hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. God moves in a mysterious way. And here is a quote of one stanza, and I will quote, you know... um, two of his other stanzas, you know, as I go along after every point. But here's one thing that he says here. And this man was a man himself familiar with a lot of depression. He was a great businessman, a lawyer, but I tell you he had a lot of people who felt that he had mental illness because he was always depressed. And then in the midst of all of that, he wrote this this powerful uh, um, hymn. Listen to one of these stanza. He says, Judge not the Lord by your feeble sins, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. Praise the Lord. He hides a smiling face. So let's not judge the Lord by our feelings alone. Not everything that appears real is mean that it's real. God is in control. God's hand is upon the thermostat. He will adjust it when he needs to. And let's move quickly to David's petition, verse 3 and 4. As mentioned earlier, the next element in lament is petition. So as we look here, we'll see David's plea after that honest presentation of his flight unto the Lord. A story is told of a man who always sat in the routes that the king used to take. And every day he sits there and he will yell out all the problems he was going through. But the king would just pass by with his chariot. And one day this man sitting there yelled out to the king, Oh, his majesty, help me. And suddenly the king's chariot came to to, to a halt. And the king asked that he be brought to him. And when the man was brought to him, the king asked, what do you want? And the man told him exactly what his needs were. And the king granted him every need that he asked for. So to complain about a matter is one thing, but to earnestly pray about a solution is another thing. This guy sat there complaining, complaining, but he was not talking to the king directly. He was just yelling out his problems. We whine, we, we complain, we go around, we say all those things. Have you stopped and gone to the true king of kings? The one who hears, the one who knows, the one who delivers, the one who reaches out to you. Have you earnestly gone to him in prayer? Like this man, he complained, but when he yelled out and he asked the king for help, the king responded unto his needs. Verse 3 and 4 reads, it says, Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Enlighten my eyes. Lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. There's a lot that we can glean from these two uh, verses. David cried out unto the Lord with a clear sense of what he desired. And at the same time, what he dreaded. So there is his desire... And that's what he's dreading. And David put both before the Lord. He brought it to the Lord's attention. First he said, consider and hear me. Or look on me and answer. Because he felt that God was not listening to his prayers. In verse 1 we saw that. He said, how long, O Lord, would you forget me forever? And how long would you hide your face from me? It may seem as though David was asking for two separate things here. But with the truth be told, he was only asking for one thing. But he's using emphasis as a way because in the Jewish culture, you know, emphasis just enunciates or just shows the relevance of something. You know, repetition is there to just show uh, emphasis. And so David here is just repeating the same thing unto the Lord. And three things you can learn from here, from that uh, prayer there. Is a one in spite of David's feeling that God had abandoned him, yet he continued to cry out to him because God is honored when you persistently and desperately cry out to him in prayer. So David did not give up, even though he said, How long? And then he's turning back to God and he's saying, Came a cry, enlighten. My eyes. The second thing David does here is that, every, that by every indication, David was desperate here. And sometimes God waits until our prayers are desperate before he intervenes. And you ask me why? I don't know. I don't know. But God wants us to come to him desperately. Perhaps the only, the only thing I would suggest, perhaps when we are desperate, it shows our total dependence on him and nothing else but him alone. And he wants us to come to him in that way. And dare yeah, I say sometimes the cause of the powerlessness of our prayer is marked by the lack of desperation and fervency to go before God. James did not leave us guessing in 5.16. It says effectual and fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. Go to God. He is your father. He wants to see truly that you need his help. And we see here also David's prayer. But however, we should not mistake desperate prayer as a way of coercing God or twisting him to give us what we want. No. Desperate prayer has power, not because it persuades a reluctant God. We are desperate. It's not because it persuades him. Rather, it demonstrates that our hearts care passionately about the things that God himself cares about. What did he tell us in Jeremiah? I know the plans I have toward you are plans of good and not of evil. Plans to prosper you, plans to bring you to an expected end. God's desire for you, that's why we pray. He is a good, good father. That's who He is. We are loved by Him. He's a good father. You would never desire anything good for yourself better than God ever would desire for you. Never. No matter how hard you try, He is always ahead of you. His plans for you are better than you could ever imagine or think about. So we come to God in prayer. But you ask the question, why are my prayers not answered yet? The only answer I can give to that is, in His time, He will answer in His way. In His time and in His way, He will answer. Just keep making your request made known to God by prayer, by petition with thanksgiving, and do not let anxiety get the best part of you. Philippians 4, 6 tells us that. Trust the Lord. Another thing David petitioned about in verse 3, he said, enlighten or or light up my eyes. And this was probably the most seminal part of this prayer in my view, because it spells out the fact that God that David recognized that though he felt those powerful feelings, he was not seeing the actual reality. His vision had been blurred by the weight of his circumstance such that he began to see God in a bad light. He had blurry vision, and trust, trust had been replaced by anxiety for David, hope by despair, faith by fear. By the way, someone says, the acronym F-E-A-R, you may have heard this, is false evidence appearing real. That's fear. Many times the things we fear are really not real. They never happen to you. Research has shown that greater percentage of what we fear never happens. It does not. And we replace faith with fear. And that was David's plight. But what about us? What havoc has fear caused us in our lives, in our relationship with God? What problem are you going through right now that seems to distort your vision of God? We need the light of God to grant us wisdom and understanding to cry out our hearts and lighten my eyes to see things from a different perspective. For the way you see it, God, Paul reechoed echoed this in one of his prayers for the churches in Ephesus, 1, uh, Ephesians 1, 17 and 19. And I'll read this. He says, he prayed, God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what it is, the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might? Paul is praying, "Remove the scales from their eyes." He didn't pray, "Take them out of their troubles and the trials." He didn't pray none of those. He is praying, "God, just remove the scales from their eyes." If they, are, if they see you for who you are, and they know the plans you have toward them, they'll be okay. I'm not praying to take them out of the trouble. I want them to see you. Perhaps that's what you need to pray. What are you going through right now? Ask God, I need to see you. And that will change the situation. In verse 4, David expressed his dread and petition. And he, what he dreaded, he said, Lest he slept the sleep of death, or his enemy to say, I prevail against him, and lest those who troubled him rejoice over his fall. David candidly expressed these dreads because he knew that one of the worst parts of losing is hearing others gloat about your defeat. One of the worst parts, you can lose in quietness and go and lick your wounds. But when you hear people gloat over you about your failure, it hurts. And David knew this, and he did not shy away of bringing it to the Father, to God. And he says, do not let this happen to me. In fact, one author has said that um, the realities of the positive and the negative charges that produced was the driving force of David's writings was these two things. The love of God and the trusting of him and the fear of his enemies. Those two polarities and tensions caused him to write many of the sermons that we, you and I read today and we are blessed by it. Challenges caused him to draw closer to the Lord Here is how another psalmist, Asaph, puts it. And he prayed here as a way of petition. He said, help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for the sake of your name. Why should the nations ask? Where is their God? Before our eyes, make known among the nations your vengeance for the bloodshed of your servants. What can we borrow from this? prayer when we bring petitions before our Lord about any and everything, that God will be glorified in whatever situation we face, that we will be a testimony that draws others to the Lord by the way we stand on the trials. That should be a driving force, a desire for us. And lastly, that we will settle down for his will at the end of the day. So do not let the dread of fear of any situation pull you away from your loving Father. Do not. Cooper tells us again in another stanza of the same hymn I mentioned earlier. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. The clouds is so much dread. They shall break with blessings on your head. Why? Because God himself is controlling the time. God himself has got the situation under his hand, And God himself, his finger is upon the thermostat. And he knows when to push that button. Keep trusting him. Do not lose hope. Finally here, friends, David's praise. And we'll go through this briefly. After David's expression of the plight and petition, we now see a sudden transition in the disposition of, from discouragement to trust in the Lord. Verse 5 opens with the conjunction, but another version, maybe your version says and. However, I love the word but there because especially it's important because it sets the mood for what follows. As we all know, the grammatical function of but is to signify A kind of a contrast. And so we see here, so David used this to make a sharp contrast between uh, uh, his discontent with God for seemingly abandoning him. And now his struggles with discouragement and dread of his enemies over his downfall with unrelenting trust in the Lord, even in his lowest moment. Flip the, the script left the coin. complain about God, but now he said, but this is one thing. I know is coming, and I know it shall. So David declared, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And if you notice here again, David used the past tense, I have trusted in your steadfast love. This implies that even though David was temporarily discouraged and disillusioned. He did not completely abandon his habit of trusting the Lord. Saints, no matter what we go through, it's temporal. Do not let that shroud the view of God. Hold that precious view of trust in the Lord that like David shows us here. And he said he put his salvation of the Lord, which probably referred, he said, I put my trust in the Lord and his salvation. Instead, he put his salvation of the Lord, which probably referred to his anticipated deliverance, into the future. tens. He said, He shall rejoice. Why is he saying this? And even though David had not seen it yet, but he believed. He had not seen it yet. And here's how uh, Louis Giglio says, Louis Giglio says, it's an even though faith. It's an even though I do not see it yet, I believe. It is a faith that agrees with Job, that even though he slays me, I will hope in him. One that agrees with David in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It is an even-though faith that agrees with the prophet Habakkuk who said, even though the fig tree have no fruit and no grapes grow on the vines, even though the olive crops fail, even though the sheep all die and no cattle in the stalls, I will still be joyful and glad. Even though, it's an even-though faith. I challenge you today, have an even-though faith before God. Even though you slay me, I will trust you. I would not give in. And that's what uh, David was doing. And what about us? Even though I am under, so we can say with David, even though I'm under intense financial pressure, I will rest on his providence. Can you say that? Even though healing doesn't come and life falls apart, and dreams are still unmet, he sees God, He's good, He is faithful, and I will trust Him. Even though, I challenge you this week, go into this week like, even though, even though, even though all of what I am going through right now does not make sense, I will be joyful in the Lord because he's got a perfect plan for me. I mean, not understand it? No man would, but God definitely does. So David called a call to mind, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. But they are new every morning, so to speak. He was speaking. Because even though this happens to me, I still will trust the Lord. And there is no heart that sings the praise of the Lord more lustily than one in which hope arises. No heart that sings lustily one in which hope arises, praises arises, in spite of what you're going through. It's the most beautiful thing that you could ever see. Having to same people who go through trials and they're still rejoicing, they have, they have an aroma. They have some kind of thing about them that you just want to. Why are they still smiling? And that's how the world looks at us. When we trust in the Lord and they look at us as Christians, they should be mourning, they should be crying, they should be whining, but yet... They are still rejoicing, even though. And that's what he calls us to be. There's another man in the Bible about who's writing in Lamentations that we're talking about today, Lamenting, and his name was Jeremiah. And here is, I paraphrase what he said. You drove an arrow into my kidney. You made me into a laughingstock, an object of turns for the people. You have filled me with bitterness and made my teeth grind on gravel. My soul is bereft of peace and I've forgotten what happiness is. And my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord and my soul is continually bowed down. And he's complaining, but oh boy, if you read Lamentations, I recommend that book for you. Read it. It's a powerful, powerful book. It has 22 verses in chapter 1, 22 in chapter 2. When it goes to chapter 3, I think it has 66 verses. And when it goes to chapter 4, 22, and chapter 5, 22. But if you go and cut it, chapter 3 in the middle and right in the middle, you will see what he says there. I'll leave that to you. Go find out what he says. I'm not going to tell you. So like David and Jeremiah, it is possible child of God, to put our trust in the Lord and bust into joyous praise and celebration for His mercies in the midst of suffering, disappointment, rejection, pain, and grief. It is possible if only we can stop and call on Him, the faithful one who hears our cries. And, and Cooper last says here in closing, In another stanza of that same hymn, His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The Lord may have, um, the bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Sweet will be the flower. Quickly, what can we take away from this message? This psalm teaches us how to take our request before God. Boldly, fervently, and expectantly. Do it. Go boldly, go fervently, and go expectantly because God listens to his people. Secondly, when we are caught in the cosmic tensions of the realities of our problems and trusting God, always ask God to enlighten your eyes. Remove the scales from our eyes. Let me see you than my problem. Let me see how great you are. And your our situation will not vanish, but it will diminish in comparison to who God is. He's bigger than our problems. So while you are, you know, while you should not dismiss your feelings, but do not depend on it, on it entirely, you know, to determine, What your circumstances are. Fourth, when God seemingly delays in answering our prayers, it does not imply his denial or his desertion of his precious child. When God is delaying, he's not denying, he's still working. Because God moves in a mysterious way and his wonders to perform. Let's not judge him by our feeble sense, by our agenda, by our time clock. Let's not judge him. Rather, let us hang on to the hope he gives to all those who put their trust in him, even in the midst of adversity. Because while the bud may have a bitter taste, the flower will one day be sweeter when Jesus returns to give eternal life to his beloved. And someday we may ask, we may no longer ask a question, how long, oh Lord, how long? Perhaps we may ask, how long will this bliss last, Lord? How long are we going to enjoy this fellowship? And he would turn to us and say, forever, forever and ever. Hanging there, child of God. Let's rejoice. Even in the midst of adversity, He's on the throne. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for encouraging our hearts, Lord. It is true that we struggle a lot as we go through life, and sometimes. We have all felt that you abandoned us. And maybe someone this morning right here, that he is even saying that, or said that this morning, or this week, God, we pray that you encourage our hearts to see you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.